All right, Emmaus, I'm so excited to be with you uh, this morning to share God's Word and to worship together. Daniel chapter 9. We are going to be looking at this week, Daniel 9, and then last week, or next week, we're going to take the final vision in Daniel, which is 10 through 12, and we'll wrap up that portion next week. But today we're looking at Daniel chapter 9, and just so thankful and excited about God's work in, in our church family. I know many of you are watching at home, you'd like to be here this week, but just things have not allowed for that to happen, or you're traveling at the end of the summer, and so excited about God's work. And I want to share with you this morning some more of even what that's going to look like in, in coming weeks. And if you're a guest of ours, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas, some ways during the summer that you, or during the sermon that you can connect with us get involved, be aware of what's, what's going on. Also, before we get into to the content this morning, just want you to know that at the end of the sermon, we'll stand up and sing a final song at the time of invitation. And if you're here this morning and you've been praying for a loved one, for a friend, for a long time, for that person to be saved, if you want to come to the front and have that time of prayer, we'd love to pray with you. You might just come here to the altar and pray. If you're here this morning, you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted in Jesus for salvation. I pray that this morning that you would do that. That people have been praying for you. People have been talking to you about the Lord. You know your need for a Savior. You've never taken that step publicly to tell someone, I need to trust in Jesus for salvation. During that final song, we'll be down here at the front. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to tell you more about that. You're going to have an opportunity to respond in, in that way. This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer. What prompts you to pray? What, what causes you to pray? Maybe an emergency comes in your life, and you're not even a particularly religious person all the time, but something happens in life, and you say, I need somebody to pray for me. I don't need just good thoughts. <laughs> I need somebody to pray for me. There's something going on in my life. Maybe every day when you wake up, or every day when you go to sleep, you have a time of prayer. Now, praying when you go to sleep is always dangerous because that's a good way to wake up in the morning and think, oh, I think I was in the middle of prayer when, when I fell asleep. I'm the world's expert at, at that. But you maybe pray when you go to sleep. Maybe just being out in nature, going on vacation, experiencing a beautiful place drives you to prayer. Uh, maybe watching the Olympics drives you to prayer. You're trying to get Caleb Dressel down the 50 meters last night in the, in the freestyle, and you're, and you're praying about those things. Prayer is one of those things in the Christian life that most of us would say, you know what, I know prayer is important, but man, I feel weak in that area. And, and that would just be the confession I would make personally before you. When you think about the Christian life and what God has called us to do and where the power is found, it's found in prayer, and yet most of us would admit, admit, you know what, my prayer week is, or prayer life's a little bit weak. This morning is for you. Let's look at what God's word has to say about prayer. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, which would be even better if I was looking at Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, when I was looking down at my Bible. Here we go. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now just setting the context here, we're talking about 
The time is coming to an end for the people to be in exile in Babylon. There's another kingdom rising up, the kingdom of the Medo-Persians. The Persians especially are going to have the power here. And Daniel is experiencing this end of the time of exile that the people of God were under this Babylonian rule. In verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now this is fascinating. Don't, don't look over verse 2 too quickly. When you look at your Bible, it's really easy to get confused at the timeline. Like, who's writing at the same time? Especially in the Old Testament, you've got writings that are scattered in different parts of the Old Testament, and they're actually happening simultaneously. Daniel here has access to the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. So you can turn over in your Bible, actually, to Jeremiah 25 and even find the section that Daniel would have been reading at this point. Daniel is receiving these writings, these prophecies that are coming from Jeremiah. And one of the prophecies that Daniel receives, he finds that the time that the people are going to be in exile is 70 years. Well, Daniel reads this, and he starts to do the math and realizes, hey, that time is almost finished. This time of exile is coming to an end. God's about to do something in this situation. He receives this word of the prophets. He receives what is going to become scripture, and he realizes something significant is about to happen. So what does he do in, res in, in response to that? Verse 3, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel experiences the word of the Lord, and what does he do in response? He prays. Friends, this will make all the difference in your prayer life if you get this point. The word of God drives our prayer, and the Word of God guides how we pray. If you are not already familiar with this, I hope this will be such a gift to you. Amanda and I were talking about this yesterday while we were walking the dog around the, the lake there in our neighborhood, and, and just talking about in our own lives, when we began to pray Scripture, what that did to our soul, to our heart, to our prayer life. What I mean when I talk about praying Scripture is this. If you don't know where to start, just read a Bible verse and then turn around and pray that back to the Lord. So we experience the Word of God. We receive the Word of God. Whether you're listening to it through your phone or whether you're reading it or whether you're a part of a group of people, when you hear the Word of God, receiving the Word of God should drive you to pray. And if you don't know what to pray, just pray God's Word back to Him. How are we going to do this here at Emmaus? How can you learn to do this? Because I think this is so important. Here's what we're going to do, and this fits into a broader theme that God is doing in our church. We're going to call this next season of our church a time of a fresh start. Fresh start is what we're going to use when we talk about going into this fall uh, time frame, going into a new school year, going into all the things that God has for us as a church. And we are going to begin this Wednesday a period of 40 days of prayer. Starting this Wednesday and running through September 12th, 
which we hope on September 12th to be able to lay out to you some long-range plans for our church, kind of a master plan of things we see the Lord doing and and how we might use some of our property and work on some of our buildings and long-range ministry. Just hopefully that'll be a great day, assuming all the plans come together about, about how we would do this. But before we ever get to that point, we have to be a church that prays. We can make every plan in the book. We can develop strategies. We can raise money. We can think about all kinds of ideas, but friends, if we don't pray, none of that matters. We have to be a people who are gathered around the Word of God and who are devoted to prayer. And so what we have put together for you is 40 days of prayer that will lead us through this next season. There's a couple of ways that you can access this. We have put together some booklets for you that are out in the lobby. Now, we didn't print a ton this week because we weren't sure how many would want to take a booklet because the other option is we're going to be sending out a daily email to you. If your email is in our system, we're going to be sending out a daily email early every morning so when you wake up and you're ready to check your phone and you go to email that it will be there and every day it will guide our church to pray. It's going to have different scriptures that you pray through. It's going to have different themes you can pray through. Hopefully this, if you don't know what to pray or don't know how to pray, that this would be a gift to you and that God would use this in a powerful way in our church. Now, if you think, you know what, I'm a guest. I don't even know that I would necessarily be coming back long term, but I'd like to be a part of this. Or you're a guest and you say, I do want to get involved more at Emmaus. This is going to be really important. A couple of ways that you can get your email to us. Number one is there should be a card in the seat back in front of you. Just fill that card out there, put your email address on it, drop it in one of these black boxes on the wall as you're exiting. The other option is to take a picture of that QR code with your phone. It's going to take you to a little place that you can put your email address in, and we'll be getting these emails out to you. Here's the main point, though. We need to pray. God is calling our church to pray. And I believe that God will use this next set of 40 days in a powerful way in your life and in our church family if we will commit to this. So as you leave, pick up one of these booklets if this will be helpful to you. If we run out of these, we will print more. If you're watching at home and you need a booklet, let us know. We'll drive it to you. Uh, If you're sick, we'll probably just throw it on your porch and run away. But uh, we we will get it to you, okay? Um, We're going to get this to you somehow. We want to be gathered around this. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. This Wednesday night, we don't have any kids' activities planned. We take a two-week break before kids' activities start back up on Wednesday night on August 18th. This Wednesday night is, is kind of an off night for our church, except it's the first day of what's going to be this season of 40 days of prayer. So this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, we will meet back in the Fellowship Center, this metal building in the back area, and we're just going to pray. There's going to be no music. There's going to be no Bible study. We're not able to provide any child care, so I know that really causes, it's a difficulty, and I recognize that completely, so there's no guilt or shame. But we're just going to gather for prayer. And if your schedule allows it, can I ask you to come Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, meet back in this back building, no agenda, <laughs> no music, no Bible study, just a church gathered to pray asking God to do a good work in our hearts, a good work of spiritual renewal and revival and, and, and getting our attention in a way that he would use us in the days ahead. So if you don't know how to pray, let God's word guide you. 
Let God's word teach you what it looks like to pray. So what we have in Daniel 9 is Daniel's prayer. And we're going to let Daniel teach us this morning what it looks like to pray. Let's look at verse 4. What is Daniel doing as he prays here? It says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God. One of the few uses of the term Yahweh, that, that covenant name of God, the one of the few uses that you find in the book of Daniel, praying to this God who has made this covenant. And I made confession, Daniel says, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Here's the first thing I want you to see about Daniel's prayer. Daniel begins his prayer by focusing not on his own problems, but on the greatness of his God. Daniel begins his prayer not by focusing on his own problems, but by focusing on the greatness of his God. When we pray, we can be so quick to run to God with our needs, with things going on in our life, but Daniel begins his prayer by focusing on God's character. Now here at Emmaus, and as we go through these 40 days of prayer, we often talk about something called the three circles model. We use this when sharing the gospel with people. We use this when thinking about studying about scripture. But this three circles model is really helpful when you think about, God, how do I pray? Now if you're new to us, I want to walk you through this three circles model. Most of the kids here could walk you through this because they're familiar with it. They know how to draw it out with shapes, and so they understand it. But here's the way it works. Up in the top left corner is where it begins. God's design, God's character, who he is, how he's designed the world, how he's created us to be. Everything begins with God's perfect good design. We thank God for who he is, for his character. When we move away from God's design for the world and for our lives, that's called sin. To move away from God, his glory, his design is called sin. And sin always leads to brokenness and death. You look around at the world, and you see how things are not the way they're supposed to be. You see the mess that we're in as a world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world of pain and suffering and evil and sin and death. And all those squiggly lines that go out to the side of brokenness, those are human attempts to deal with sin and suffering and evil in the world. And guess what? Every one of those attempts gets you further from God. These human attempts to solve our brokenness just leads us further from God. Our only hope is to repent and believe in the gospel. Gospel is a fancy word for good news. The good news of Jesus' death on the cross to take on our sin and his resurrection from the dead to destroy the power of death. And when we experience the gospel, then we're able to live the way that God has designed us to live. Now, how does this help you when you pray? If you will write out these three circles, what you do when you pray is you just pray around the circles. So our prayer begins with God's design, with God's character, with who God is. God, you are great and awesome. You are the God who keeps covenant. You are the God who is faithful. You are the God who is merciful. We begin with God's design, and we praise him for that. And then we say, God, I realize that we sin, that we turn against you, that we live in a world that is broken and messed up, and we face all this evil, and God, we confess our need for you, and we repent and we believe in the good news of Jesus, 
And God, thank you for what you've done in Christ. Thank you for forgiveness. Help me to recover and pursue your design for the world, your design for life. Now watch how Daniel does this. Watch how Daniel, so Daniel in verse four praises God's design, praises God's character. Look at what he does in verse five. In verse five, Daniel says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. In the Christian life, there is a time for personal confession of sin. And if you're wondering what that time is, it's every day. Every day we realize, Lord, I I know I've fallen short. I need you. I confess my sin. I cry out to you. But don't miss how often Scripture talks about corporate confession of sin, corporate repentance. And most of us live in a very individualized culture, very individualized lives, and we don't think much about corporate confession and corporate repentance. But Emmaus, this is exactly what God is calling us to, that we together would recognize who we are as the people of God and what it means for us as a church, as the people of God, to confess and repent before the Lord. We're going to read through Daniel's confession and repentance Feel the weight of this while we read through this, okay? Starting in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." All Israelists transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword, a curse word among all who are around us. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What does it mean? For us to cry out to the Lord, not pointing fingers at the world outside, not just talking about us individually. What does it mean for the people of God to confess before him that we are broken over the brokenness in our lives, in our churches, in the world? That together, together we bear the weight of sin for the people of God? What does it look like for us as a church family to confess and to cry out for repentance, to pray the way Daniel prays right here. At the risk of speaking for you, we're gonna do that right now. Now this is not the closing prayer, this is not grab your purse and put up your keys. This is the prayer in the like, back half of the sermon before we look at the final point. But it would not be right of us to read that prayer from Daniel and then not turn around and make corporate confession as a church family this morning. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me? And we together would begin a season of prayer right now that will carry us into September and beyond. God, we come before you, the eternal God who is worthy of worship, worthy of everything we have to give, the God who created every one of us, the God by his grace placed this church family in this location over 30 years ago, the God who draws our lives together as a church. Father, we come before you to confess our sin. God, we come before you to confess that way too often we are apathetic about your word and prayer. God, we live in a world where we're tempted to care about everything and nothing all at the same time. And God, when it comes to themes of faith, many of us are so lazy, so apathetic. God, our hearts are not moved by those who don't know you as Savior. God, our hearts are not broken over our neighbors and friends and family members who are lost by the millions and millions of people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. God, forgive us for our apathy. God, forgive us for how critical and judgmental and cynical we can be toward you and toward one another. God, forgive us for our low view of the church. God, how casual, how consumeristic we are about the church. The bride that was purchased by the blood of Jesus and yet we are so dismissive and casual. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for the awful testimony that we display to the world by how we treat one another online, 
in person, at work, in neighborhoods, at school. God, draw us to holiness. God, forgive us for what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, what we consume that is so dishonoring to you. God, forgive us that as a church, we would ever imagine that our success or popularity or name is more important than your glory. God, however you would work among this church, you will work, and we will give you praise. God, our only calling is to be faithful before you. And God, we ask for your mercy on our church family. God, we know our world is in a mess. We know we're facing all kinds of difficulty, but right now, our concern is our own souls, our own church. And so, God, we confess before you our need for you. And, God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on our church family in a powerful way. And, God, we pray these things because we have hope through Jesus. God, we pray these things because of all that you want to do in and through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, when we pray in that way, when we confess ourselves before the Lord in that way, there better be hope on the other side of that or we're in trouble. Uh, we're happy that the verses don't end there. Let me show you the gospel at the end of Daniel 9. Let me show you the gospel at the end of Daniel 9. And, and a quick preparation. This is such a controversial section of scripture. And it would be just like the enemy to take the gospel portion of this chapter and turn it into controversy and debate, and we argue about the meaning of it. Don't miss the main point of these verses, even though many of you are going to disagree with me about certain details of how I'm going to explain it, okay? That's my caveat. Don't miss the gospel here. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas, at the beginning of your prayer, Daniel, for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Here's the vision of hope. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Let's stop at that first phrase there in verse 24 to get the idea. What Daniel hears here is he knows that his people are in exile. He knows this time is coming to an end, and the vision is that 70 weeks are decreed about the people and the holy city of Jerusalem. What's going on here? Almost certainly, this idea of 70 weeks or 77s, it, it, it refers to 70 years. But the number here is so important of how you reach the final conclusion. Here's the purpose of the number seven. When you go back in the book of Leviticus, to Leviticus 25, and you even think about the way God established creation with the seven days of creation, and he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath, for the people of Israel, the seventh day 
or not the seventh day. Well, the seventh day was to be a day of rest, but also the seventh year was to be a year of rest, a year of Sabbath for the Lord. And then after seven sevens, so after 49 years, the 50th year was called a year of Jubilee. And when you read in Scripture about all that's involved in the year of Jubilee, this is a year when debts are forgiven. This is a year when slaves are set free. This is a year when victory is proclaimed. The idea of Jubilee is a celebration of God's salvation. And it would happen on the 50th year after seven sevens, after 49 sets. Well, you take 49 and you multiply it by 10, you're going to get to the 490 number that becomes so important here in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9. Look what happens this year of Jubilee, the way it's described here that I started to read earlier. The Jubilee promises are that transgression would be finished, that sin would be put to an end, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place, or some translation will say a most holy person. Now when you think about those promises coming to fulfillment, what do you think about? I don't know about you, but I think about the coming of Jesus. And here is what's so fascinating. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he takes jubilee promises from Isaiah chapter 61 and he applies them to himself. So look at these verses out of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says, quoting Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he goes on in the next part of that verse. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those jubilee promises are coming to fulfillment through Jesus. Now, if you're 100% confused, let me back up and just say again what we said to this point. The people of Israel are in exile in Babylon for a 70-year period. Jeremiah has prophesied this, and Daniel has received this prophecy, and he knows their time of exile is about to come to an end. Daniel receives a vision of how God's promises are then going to be fulfilled, and he gives this idea of 70 weeks, 70 periods of time that are going to lead up to the jubilee promises of God, all that he has promised for his people coming to fulfillment, ultimately through the sending of his son Jesus. Now watch how this is laid out in the following verses. Verse 25, the vision says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, this is what Cyrus, the Persian king, made possible as he allowed the people to return and the temple to be rebuilt. From that time to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, a period of time that's going to elapse. Boatloads of controversy about who the prince is in this verse. Lots of ideas given, but there's a figure that's going to come that's going to lead into the next section. Verse 26 or, um, sorry, middle of verse 25. Then 
For 62 weeks it shall be built, the, the city of God, Jerusalem, shall be built again with squares and a moat, but it will be a troubled time. Now, I know school's not back in session yet, so it's kind of a tough time here, but uh, 7 plus 62 gets us to 69. We're almost finished with the 70 years. We've almost reached this final time period. Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Something is going to happen at the beginning of this 70th week. This anointed one will come and will be cut off. Many scholars, myself included, not calling myself a scholar, but agreeing with these scholars, believe that this refers to the death of Jesus at this point, inaugurating, starting the 70th week that's going to lead up to the full promises of God being fulfilled. And the people of the prince who is to come will actually destroy the city and the sanctuary, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, for this final period of time. And for half of this final period of time, this final week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wean of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now you can understand why there's all kinds of debate and division over what's being referred to, seeming to point to a final end times antichrist that will oppose the people of God and ultimately God's victory will come. Let me tell you where the debate comes into play and then I'll tell you the good news and then we'll sing the final song and and wrap up. The debate comes of whether we're living in the 70th week of Daniel 9 right now, or whether that 70th week is still to come and we're kind of living in between in this parentheses, in this uh, gap that's here. Uh, If you have like a uh, uh, certain study Bibles, (laughs) they're going to refer strongly to the fact that there's a gap between the 69th week and then the 70th week will come in the future sometime. Nothing gets that. I just don't see that in, in Scripture. I think we live in the 70th week right now that Jesus, with his coming, began to pour out all of the promises of God upon his people, even though those have not yet been fulfilled. We still look for this 70th week to be fulfilled when Jesus returns, ultimately to destroy evil and the Antichrist and to make all things new and all things right. Where's the hope, though? in those verses. Here's what I don't want you to miss. Point number one as we think about gospel hope here. If you guys can go to that last slide and we'll wrap up with this. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brought God's salvation jubilee promises. Daniel was desperate to see the salvation of God in the world. Friends, we live in a time when that salvation has come through Jesus. God's promises have been poured out upon his people. What he wants to do in and through the church is possible because of the work of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Brokenness and pain endure in the world, but God has decreed the end of evil. Whatever evil and brokenness and pain you are facing in your life, it has an expiration date. Whatever evil and brokenness and pain you see in the world is not permanent. 
God has decreed its end. The 70th week will end and all things will be made new. We must hold on to that. Which means we live in this already not yet tension. Already God's promises and salvation and gifts have been poured out, but not yet have we seen everything that's going to mean. So what do you do in the meantime? You pray. In the meantime, you pray and you trust the Lord and you faithfully carry out what he has called you to do and you share the good news of Jesus with people around you. What do I hope God does in our church through this? I hope he brings spiritual renewal. I hope he softens our hearts toward him and toward others. I hope he draws so many people to salvation and to baptism and to obedience to our Lord. And I hope he does in us what only he can do. Not what we could do on our own strength and power, but what he wants to do through his people who are committed to him as we trust him and as we pray. Let me pray for us. We're gonna stand, sing a final song together. We'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to this final song covering a lot of scripture, a lot of controversial ideas that can cause confusion. But we understand the main point. And the main point is that we need you. And the main point is that the battle belongs to you, that you have won the battle against evil and sin and death. And so you call us to trust you. And you call us to prayer. And you call us to faithful living in the world that's so opposed to you. And so God, I pray that as we sing this final song, as we go out and as we begin this Wednesday, on this 40 days of prayer, God, do a good work in our church. I pray this morning that if there are those that need to come to the altar to pray for family and friends who don't know you, that they would come. That there are people here this morning who know that they've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, and they just need to pray with someone about that. God, draw them to prayer this morning. And help us to sing this song as a declaration of faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 